Girl, We Need to Talk is a place where we have open, honest, transparent conversations centered around love, life, loss, and mental health. It started as a place to hold space for my grief after my dad died in 2018. But like me, it's evolved into a space where we as women can simply woosah, take a breath, and relax. We keep it a buck around here and have nothing to hide as we open up about topics that everyday women like you and me face every single day. So settle in and get comfy, because girl, we need to talk. All right, y'all, here's what I have learned about healing. (laughs) It's a never-ending process. And every single time I think I figured it out, something else happens that makes me go, hmm, that's why I have those behaviors. That's why I do what I do. That's why I function the way that I function. And uh, y'all know, this is a space where we are open, honest, transparent, and we have the conversations that get to the core and to the heart of who we are. And so when I hosted the Zen to Amen conference uh, or retreat in St. Lucia last summer, I had another wild awakening. So we had some very phenomenal speakers who talked about a bunch of different things, self-care, trauma. Uh, We had some fellas who presented on healing. But when I met Dr. Ebony Butler, first of all, she fly, (laughs) y'all. And I was like, oh, okay, I see you, sis. But when she got up to speak, I had another aha moment. And I will say that she was one of the speakers that really rattled a lot of us in the room. She's a licensed psychologist and food relationship strategist. First of all, I was like, what is a food relationship strategist? But when she started to talk about how the relationship with food, our trauma, and all of it ties into our identity, our relationships, and how we function, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. It all makes so much sense. And that's what today's episode is about. It's about our relationship with food and how it impacts us overall. Uh, This is season three of Girl, We Need to Talk. I'm your host, Miss Charity Bailey, and our special guest today is Dr. Ebony Butler. Thanks all y'all for joining us. And Dr. Ebony, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us about something that means so much, but we know so little about Hey, girl, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about it. I I can talk all day about it. So yeah, well, your your presentation at Zinta Amen was really phenomenal. So first off, what is a food relationship strategist? Um, So I made it up. I made up the title, right? So That's okay. We I all making out- it as we go. <laughs> <laughs> I made it up. Um, in 2015, I started out as a weight loss coach. And I was like, mm, I did a little work there. But I'm a person, I believe. I always tell people, uh, I just am who I am in my personal life. Sometimes I might not have the most integrity. But in my business life, <laughs> I have a lot of integrity. <laughs> well, you're a therapist. I have so a lot of integrity. integrity is good. <laughs> And so I don't like being able to, I don't like not being able to sleep at night. So if I tell somebody something and if I'm doing work, I need to be able to stand behind that. And I didn't feel right doing that as a weight loss coach. I felt like I was still adding to some of the not good enoughness that black women was feeling, basically telling women that they need to just change their bodies to get smaller, to be good enough. And I was like, oh, this feels yucky. And the um, wellness industry is just super, just super oppressive, I think. And so I started doing my research and I was like, hmm. 
I want to be something else. I don't want to be a weight loss coach. I don't want to be a wellness coach. It sounds too, too general. I'm more than that. My credentials speak to more than that. So I read Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings, and I was like, that's it. It's oppressive, and I don't like it, and it's racist, and that's mm-hmm. why I don't like it. And so I was like, what can I do to actually make the work that I do integral? Like, what means what's important to me? And I was like, I like talking about relationships. I talk about relationships all the time. I believe that we're in relation to things all the time and everywhere that we turn around and everywhere that we look. What's our relationship with food? And what does that look like person to person? Because it's surely not the same. So that's where the strategist part came from. And so I was like, oh, why not just be a food relationship strategist? And we've been that since about 2018. So okay. here we are. Yeah, well, you're doing great work. Yeah. And you said something key because it, it triggered this thought for me is that we do. We talk a lot about dating relationships, marriages, uh, you know, relationships within the family. But we do not talk enough about, in my opinion the relationship that we have with food and how it shapes us as humans. And so you talk a lot mm-hmm. about diet mm-hmm. culture. We don't talk about it enough. Mm-mm, no, because it's very important. But you, you often talk about diet culture, and you mentioned that it's oppressive. In what ways is diet culture oppressive? So to talk about the oppressiveness of diet culture, we first have to understand what diet culture is. So diet culture is a, a system of beliefs. It's a societal thing. It's a com- like a communal thing, um, an understanding where thinness is related to worth and related to value. The more thin you are, the more value you are in society, the more privileged you are, the more worthy you are, and that your character and your moral is connected to the food that you put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. That's diet culture. Yeah. You're a good person. You're a bad person based on what you eat. You're a good person, bad person based on what you look like. And your morals, values are tied up in that. The oppressiveness comes from the fact that those things are aligned with whiteness. That the more thin you are, the better you are, because the more thin you are, the more close to whiteness you are. And that's the way that it started. So diet culture's roots are, it starts with how do we get white people to be more distant from black folks because black folks are insatiable they're gross they're nasty their bodies are too round their appetites are never satisfied and so you read sabrina string's book fearing the black body talks about the black woman's body as a spectacle Mm. and then how do we get ourselves away from that and so more the thinness is moving more towards away more away from blackness so the more thin i am the less black i am yeah now i read the book fat i am yeah Mm mm-hmm Well, that's the thing. I haven't read the book, but as you're saying that, I recall that there have been conversations that I had with friends maybe like 10 years ago or so. Like y'all say that people are pretty, but culturally they not pretty. Like by my set of standards, culturally, that's not pretty. That person is literally just skinny and y'all be like, oh my God, she's so pretty. And you're like, no, she's skinny. But the flip side to that is that when the Kardashians or these Instagram models plump their lips, plump their hips, do all the extra stuff that black women have been ridiculed for. Suddenly they're so pretty. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Cause mm-hmm. they doing with doctors, what we do naturally, but we've been ridiculed. It's like such a mind F if you will, it's a screwed up place to live in, especially as a black woman. It's the ultimate gaslighting. It's the ultimate gaslighting to believe yeah. that you are not good enough, but people who mock and want to look like you, who imitate your likeness are. But if you look at the, the beauty standards that have been set, who set our beauty standards? 
Europeans. the modeling industry, the, the <laughs> yeah. Europeans. Yeah. Who did we see on TV? Who has makeup been modeled on? Even if we look at the nicotine and tobacco industry, what did they tell us? If you smoke, you're going to be pretty. And who was the model of pretty? Yeah. Cause cigarettes white were, women. yeah. Right? And cigarettes were marketed toward women, specifically white women, like at the core of it. And then it, uh, progressed over time. Right, right, right. So you have to think about the beauty industry. Who set the standard of beauty? The standard of beauty now is still being set by the beauty industry, which is why the Kardashians are allowed to set the tone. They're setting the tone. They continue to set the tone and the trends, and people who look like them continue to set the tone and trends. And then we get the we get the consequences and the the ramifications and negative consequences of that. And it's taking a toll on us now as we see. We don't think our bodies are good enough. The shape of our bodies has always been ridiculed, but the Kardashians go get their bodies shaped in a way that says that's beautiful. And now we now have to go get our body shaped in that way. But that's naturally our body curvature. That's naturally our body type. But even that's not good enough that we need more of it. So we're, I tell people all the time, diet culture doesn't care who it takes under. It mm. takes all of us under even white women. And so yeah. all of us now are chasing this body type, this standard of perfection, yeah. of desire, of likability, of beauty, that our bodies, if we stop, and our bodies are naturally that way, but we need more of it because we're trying to fit a standard of perfection, which means we're trying to align more with whiteness. Yeah. And, and that's and our that's, problem. Yeah, it is problematic. While we're talking about culture and food and all of that, how does our culture, especially as like black and brown people, shape our relationship with food, our upbringing. And the reason I ask that is because when you were speaking at the conference or at the retreat, you were talking about the different ways that we re we're rewarded as children, or I mean, even as adults, like we celebrate with food so much. And I didn't realize it until I couldn't eat certain things. And I was like, oh, dang, okay. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the good parts of our, our culture with food, right? We bond oh, around absolutely. food. It's a bonding agent, I call it. Like, we bond around food. We we uh, build memories around food. We mm -hmm. learn culture through food. We learn where we came from. We learn about people through food. We are connected to our ancestors through food. It's a, it's a connection. So there's fun things. There's memories. There's things that people can't take away from us, even when they try to take our, our culture away from us, like our land, all of those things, right? But you can't take the origin of food, you can't take the what you can't take away what food does for us. So when mm -hmm. I, we talk about the ways that culture has shaped it, we're some of the most creative folks. And so we have a lot of good times around food, right? So mm -hmm. we learn how to cook, we learn how to feed, we learn how to kind of feed people's souls with food. Mm -hmm. We learn Sunday how to dinner. Um, worship together as food, Sunday dinner, fellowship. Yeah. We learn how to uh, find our mates with food. Like let's yeah. those are the good <laughs> things, right? <laughs> That's all you know, all, all the things, right? <laughs> Let me make you a plate, baby. But <laughs> let me make you a plate. We show gratitude. We show we show kind of like what we think about you. Your your value, all the the size of the meat that we give you, all these things. Right? <laughs> you, get the thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> you get the big chicken. You get the big chicken. I love you because you get the big chicken. You know? <laughs> You know if I'm mad at you because you're going to get this leg over here. So we communicate with food. It's all the <laughs> Hey, don't be hating no legs. I love me a good leg. Hold on now. I do too. But we know we can be using it to, to kind yeah, of show, send petty. a message. Send a message. <laughs> so all those things are good. <laughs> all those things are good, right? 
But then the way that it's also shaped is we learn to mistrust our bodies in relation to food really, really early. Mm -hmm. Um, Scarcity, poverty. We learn that food is not something that is constant for a lot of people. Food is something that is rewarded. If you're bad, you don't get it. If you are good, you get more. If you're a male, you get more. If you, mm. So we're socialized differently around food. If you're in yeah. food deserts, we don't know if food's going to be here. So the type of food that you're, you're um, introduced to is different. And so yeah. just the food that you have understanding of and how to feed and nourish your body is completely different because a lot of us don't have resources to get fresh food if you're living in some of these scarce areas, these food deserts. We talk about culture. We have to talk about trauma, too. So generational mm-hmm. trauma. We learn how to mistrust our bodies really early because trauma comes in and disrupts our abilities to dis- to connect and listen to our bodies. So if you talk about interpersonal trauma, molestation, sexual assault, those kinds of things, we disconnect from our bodies to stay safe. So how am I supposed to know when I'm full? How am I supposed to know when I'm hungry? A lot of times I'm just soothing those emotions that are there because I have no other resources to deal with this trauma. I have no other way to soothe this this intense pain, right? Also, the trauma of just not having enough or racism, our parents, what they were taught, what they kind of were introduced to, they're passing that down to us. And not to mention, diet culture didn't start in 2020, 2022. They also are benefactors of diet culture, too. So what did they think yeah. about their bodies? Think about what they told us. Oh, girl, you need to stop eating. But your brother mm-hmm. could eat the same thing and nobody ever says anything to yeah. him. So we learn yeah. that our bodies can't be trusted. We learn that our bodies are bad. So culturally, you learn a lot of these things. Oh, girl, you getting big. Oh, girl, you healthy. Slow huh? down. You yeah. come home, the first thing people say, slow down. Yeah. Um, or your man going to love you. You know, all these things is just yeah. the messages that we receive that make us, that set the tone for how we engage with food. Also, let's talk about some of the parental things that, parental teachings and the things that we hear that also kind of pause or stall our understanding of our bodies mm-hmm. i was raised in mississippi where my mama told me if i eat all if i don't eat all of my food the kids in africa are gonna starve girl you because was raised scarcity in mississippi, was a thing for us and i was raised in california by <laughs> yes. a, a man from mississippi and a woman from texas and everybody said that like kevin on stage posted something right. recently about that and everybody can identify especially black folks with the starving children in africa and you really hit a nerve for me at the retreat when you said that and the whole room went oh because what you said is now what does kids in africa have to do with me not finishing this little bit of amount on my plate then but when i was in college and i went to weight watchers i remember they didn't specifically say uh you know starving kids in africa they kind of made reference to the point of being made to feel guilty for not finishing everything on your plate so now as an adult when i have stuff left on my plate even if i'm full I'm just going to finish it to A, not be rude or so that I don't feel some type of shame or guilt. And that's wild. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause it makes no sense. Cause if I eat it, the kids are going to starve. If I don't eat it, they're going to starve. So what's going to happen? <laughs> and why should I be responsible for that? <laughs> that's right. And as a child, why is that? Why How did that become my responsibility? That? Not that it's not a serious issue. Like I'm not making light of the issue. Let's be clear. Right. But I'm saying right. the psychology behind it again is like, Wait, what? You know? So the anxiety that we carry and the responsibility that we carry starts really early. Like, we're made to feel responsible for a whole systemic issue. Right. For a whole that I did issue start that's not finish. our problem around food. That's right. So why is this my problem? 
And so we grow up with this huge amount of responsibility and it bleeds over into so many areas of our lives. We don't even think about it. Also, we struggle to leave food on our plates because we know that money was scarce. Yeah. And so we want all of our money's worth, right? So those things that we're continuing to do as adults are done out of habit and survival. Yeah. So when you, when you said that at the retreat, it was kind of crazy because I mean, clearly our listeners and viewers know that I've had gastric sleeve surgery. I'm very open about it. It's a tool. It's not the end all be all. Mm-hmm. I lost about 50 to 70 pounds doing it. And then I've been trying to like pound it out in the gym. I still got to eat good and, you know, eat healthy, but having surgery really made me realize like how food ran my life and how attached emotionally Mm -hmm. I was to it. But when you talked about it from a point of scarcity and abundance, I was like, Oh my goodness. To the point where we were on the boat trip and I had made a plate. And so I get full at a certain point and I can't eat anymore. Like my tummy will be like, okay, girl, try me if you want to. And I'm gonna get sick. And so one of the ladies next to me, because I had shared after you got done, I shared my story with my body, honoring my body, my weight loss journey. And one of the ladies next to me said, it's okay. You can throw it away because there's more later. And because I was so transparent, like certain people after your talk came to speak to me. And again, like two days later, she just kind of like was like, it's okay. She like tapped me on the arm and she was like, it's okay. Because it's now focusing on a place of abundance. I've had to do that with money. I've had to do that mm-hmm. with several things, but I never thought to do it with food. And when you, when what you said hit home, and then I got the reassurance from another woman. I got reassurance from one younger woman and one older woman because they both saw me like struggling to finish. But also, I was like, "This is hella good, and I just want to eat it." <laughs> right. But they were like, "It's okay." <laughs> There's more. And I was like, and like, I had my plate in my hand, like, you know, and the one said, I got it. And she took it and tossed it for me. And I was like, oh man, like, it's okay. There's more where that came it's from. It's okay. But how many times as children do we hear that message? It's okay. You don't have to eat it. We don't. It's okay. We don't. There's more. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We don't. And to your point about messages as children, you you hit on it earlier. One of my vivid memories of somebody that we grew up with, she was an adult that I really looked up to, and I was going to get more food, and several of the kids were in line to get food. And, of course, I'm a chubby kid, whatever. Uh, I became an overweight adult. It is what it is, who is now getting her life together. And I recall to this day, that woman admires me, and she's always like, oh, my God, you're so great. You're so beautiful. And I'm like, you have no idea how you scarred me. One Sunday, we were all in the kitchen Mm. getting more food, and she was like, not Charity. No, she don't need to begin seconds. Mm. Yeah. And I was Mm -hmm. like, ooh. Mm -hmm. And that person's not even important in my life in general Mm -hmm. for me to even go back and say, like, yo, you know. But right. also it was isolating and it was embarrassing. And also in talking to young people, there a lot of them say, like, just don't embarrass me. It makes me feel weak. And I was like, yeah, you put me on the spot. But also I'm the chubby kid. Mm-hmm. It, it was so layered. And I was like, oh, yeah. But you celebrate mm-hmm. the boys for going to get seconds and thirds because they need to be big and strong for football. And the girls, yeah. and also one of my cousins told me that that same person had said something like, you need to be in the line because you're skinny. And so yes. now we're, yeah, mm-hmm. so we're on opposite mm-hmm. sides of the spectrum mm-hmm. with it, right? I'm overweight and she's too thin by our cultural standards as black folk. Mm-hmm. And so right. adults, can I just say this? Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> leave these kids leave alone. Leave people's bodies alone and just 
hush. Mind just hush. your own body. <laughs> Shut up. Right? <laughs> oh my God. It just dawned on me. I'm gonna look right at the camera. Shut up about kids' <laughs> bodies. Damn. Shut up about all of our bodies, right. right, Charity? Because what it says is that big bodies aren't allowed to still be hungry. Right. Like, slow and that down and think about that. <laughs> little bodies are never full. So you're, you're really, you're not, you're, you're really going to get talked about <laughs> regardless. So you may as well just learn to be okay with the body that you have because somebody's yeah. going to always have a problem with your body because people have problems with themselves. themselves. Yeah. And this is what I talk about to my clients all the time is that we're usually judging people out of our own limits and our own body Whew. stuff. So if I see somebody else's body and I'm focusing on your back fat, it's because I have a problem with my with own my back fat. my own back fat. You are absolutely And that's usually correct. what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I only see and, your little droopity droop right here because I see and feel and know my droopity droop. That's right. That's right. And so we're all kind of imposing and projecting a lot of insecurities. And this stuff is just confirming for folks who already have that stuff deep-seated. And it really is rooted in just not feeling good enough. And I understand where it comes from as black folks that we have always just been made to feel less than. And that's where the work comes in. We've got to do our work to understand that our bodies aren't less than. We just were made to think that it was. But it doesn't really mean that it is. So doing that healing is necessary. So you talk about the healing and doing the work. Uh, You also specialize in Mm -hmm. trauma, specifically interpersonal trauma, racism in the workplace. Child, that's the whole thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So how how does our trauma dictate our relationship with food? So if we start with, so interpersonal trauma, right? So I I said a little bit before, trauma is anything that significantly disrupts your functioning, disrupts the way you see the world, right? Okay. So if... If I'm in trauma, if unresolved, keeps you in survival mode. Which if also stores fat mode, on your body. Absolutely. But if I'm in survival mode, guess what I'm doing? I'm doing things that keeps me alive. Yeah. I'm not really thinking about the things that ground me, the things that I need. Survival increases scarcity. And so mm-hmm. I'm always going to be thinking about what I'm not going to have what's not going to happen, what's the extreme, what's the worst case scenario, right? And stress, you talk about keeps fat on your body. Being in survival mode is fight, flight, or freeze and increases cortisol and keeps keeps a lot of things, especially around the midsection, right, for women yep. too. Like this is why many of us can't let go of certain areas that we find are problematic, which then cycles to us talking bad about our bodies, which then when we talk bad, we feel bad, we feel guilt, shame, then we keep that stress around and it's just a nasty, nasty, vicious cycle, it's right? Vicious so we never cycle. can really undo the thing that we're trying to do. So survi- trauma keeps us in survival mode, which keeps us making rash decisions, mm-hmm. which keeps us making decisions from a place of fight, flight, or freeze. And in the moment, kind of like, what do I need now to, to survive? We don't think about anything else. What do I need to survive, right? Yeah. And the decisions aren't. They aren't rational. Um, So that's why we're like, oh, I need to get my money's worth. Or this isn't going to be good enough. Or I can't go to the grocery store. So you see a lot of people talk about uh, sticker shock. Survival mode keeps you from being rational. If I go to the store and I buy food, but I always am thinking, and maybe it's realistic, but that food is too high and I can't afford it, it keeps me from looking at the long game. So I go towards the lesser sticker price, the more immediate 
more convenient food option because I'm like, that's cheaper, but I'm not thinking about groceries in the long term are going to going to cost me way less than this meal just cost me. Yeah. So we don't think rational. And also because we're not thinking rationally, we're not doing the things that we could do to best heal our bodies. If we go to a grounded place, trauma disrupts our ability for our minds to connect with our nervous system. Yeah. So your nervous system is always sending messages to your brain. There's a threat. There's a threat. There's a threat. And unresolved trauma doesn't tell you. So we got a lot of nerves in our gut, right? Unresolved trauma also lives there. So think about gut issues. Mm -hmm. Think about things that are we're holding around our midsection. Thinking about mm -hmm. our ability to be grounded. Think about our ability to feel full and know we full, we're full. Our ability to discern whether or not we're hungry, thirsty, or whatever else we need. Yeah. So there is not a communication. There's not effective communication that's happening. So some some of us are forgetting to eat. So talk about the relationship with food yeah. and how it impacts it. We forget to eat. We overeat. We over rely on food for comfort. We don't diversify our coping skills. So we don't have other things that we could do. And it just keeps us in this cycle of always turning towards food for that comfort. And we mm -hmm. don't learn how to sit with emotions and let them go like a wave and let yeah. them pass by. We are always tending to tense emotions with food. And typically the foods that we tend to it with is not broccoli. No, it's not water. Child, it's usually overprocessed food, and right? It's sweet. comfort food. Yeah, <laughs> and you, yes. It's cheesy. But here's the thing, right? <laughs> it's cheesy, and we, and our body, we don't, our bodies don't know when we need to stop. So right. this is how some of the ways that trauma can disrupt it. Another flip side to this is trauma also lends us to disguise our uh, bodies inside of ourselves. So some people you will hear sometimes say, "I gained weight so that I can hide." Oh my gosh. In or one I of my rely groups. on food so that I hide. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I tell people that I was hiding in plain sight, that people didn't know that I was tired, that mm -hmm. I was in pain, that I, you know, had all the extra things mm -hmm. going on because I was just plus size and pretty. Okay. Thank you. But I was unhealthy. Mm -hmm. The thing is, so I, I'm in some bariatric groups and a couple of the ladies have said that they experienced trauma, uh, like sexual trauma. And that they mm -hmm. realized that they put the weight on so that they weren't attractive to men, but they didn't do it on purpose. It was subconscious. So now if I hide mm -hmm. in my body, my body's protecting me from predators. And I was like, whoa, like it's a duh, but I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the. What I hear people too say, in addition to that, is if I lose weight, I'm going to become more of a target because people can now see me. So yeah. there's a fear around getting a smaller body too, because now what do I do when I'm more attractive to folks? Mm -hmm. People are going to harm me. So there's a huge reaction around being safe and yeah. huge fear thoughts around being safe. And yeah. so if I can hide, I'm doing this. So, so the brain is, I love the brain because the brain is always going to be working magnificently. The brain is going to always want to protect you too. Mm -hmm. So there are some subconscious things that we're doing. So you may be relying on food and not be able to disrupt the pattern and can't figure out why. It's because your brain is protecting you because it thinks that it's unsafe. And so yeah. food may be the mechanism by which it feels safer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's the thing. Every time I talk to you, I like this whole time I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so triggered about this or that or the third because it just brings up things that I never thought about consciously. They sit in the subconscious mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm, you mention it mm -hmm. and it's like ding, 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 ding. Like there's so much. So I'm so glad. Thank you so much for even knowing that this work 
needed to be done because we don't even know that it needs to be done but like again after you spoke at the conference at the retreat excuse me uh so many people men included like walked up to me and were like talking to me about their own personal journeys with weight loss surgery they were talking to you about their personal journeys and one of the big things that you often talk about is that your personal journey with uh bodybuilding and your body transformation and okay so y'all when I met Dr. Ebony most of the time when I introduce speakers I try to get to know a little bit about them so I can introduce them properly properly and I asked her you know you know some things about her she told me about her doggies you know and then she said I love to eat and travel and you came to the realization that your journey with weight loss was not a happy one and you couldn't eat and travel and that did not bring you joy and so you was done with it <laughs> I was done I was like oh I can't eat so I was a heavy girl too so I've always been charity the the pretty the pretty girl pretty girl used to have a gap pretty girl with a gap right but I was always the the chubby girl mm-hmm. the chubby friend always friend zone right so I lost all this weight and went on to teach weight loss that's where that came about yeah, and you became a bodybuilder because I'm extreme I became a bodybuilder because I'm extreme and I'm obsessive. And so be <laughs> losing, I'm, I'm just going to tell people the truth this about is. me because that's what it is. It, and sis. I have my own relationship with food <laughs> right. in my body, right? I can't teach it if I'm like, because one thing, Cherry, I know is that I have what people tend to, to look at outwardly and see that I have small body privilege or I'm in the average size zone. So how can you possibly be talking to us about something? You don't know what that's like. Yep. But I've been there and I know my journey as well. And I know my journey still today. Right. So I'm obsessive and I'm extreme. And I was like, oh, I'm small, but I'm not small enough. And if I, I got to really, really get to the small size. So if I gain weight, I'm going to still be in safe range. Mm hmm. This is what happens in your mind when you're fat phobic, right? And all the things associated with fatness have been told to be bad. And you're not, you're just trying not to be bad. You're trying to be perfect, Mm -hmm. right? So I was like, I'm going to go bodybuild. And I did that. And for me, for me, it was one of the most miserable times of my life. While I love training and I, I just still really do, I don't like the extremes that I had to put my body through to get to that size. And what I learned in that process is that you, I have to eat air to be tiny, I have to eat air to be to be small. Yeah. Because my body just doesn't want to do it. And I was fighting against my body for two years to get it to be as small as it was. And my breaking point was when I was. <laughs> yep, girl. <laughs> when I was sitting in the car on my birthday eating 10 asparagus fingers and five ounces of chicken. We're not doing that. I couldn't eat a cake. I couldn't have a drink. No, your birthday is the one <laughs> so day that calories it. do not count. They can go straight to hell. you supposed exactly. to celebrate, enjoy. <laughs> and even on vacation. And that's the thing. You said, like, the big thing about travel for you is enjoying food. For me, when I realized I was like after surgery that I might not be able to eat certain things I felt the same way I was like dang I like to eat different foods when I go to different countries and cities and states That's right but then me and my tummy we'd be having a conversation and she'll be like okay and I'm gonna let you get that much when I say stop you best stop <laughs> <Right. laughs> but that right. is miserable and that's the I'm thing I'm telling you now it's like so you have to find a balance of quality of life and mm-hmm. you know health i guess whatever you define that to be right yeah right and to your point about Mm -hmm. the body like i think one of the most freeing things for me was when i asked my surgeon my entire life people have told me you're five seven you should be between 130 and 150 Mm. i'm sorry ma'am my lowest was 212 as an adult in college and i was a size 10 right now today i'm 240 pounds and i wear size medium top large and extra large dresses a size 14 or 16 like and size 10 dresses 
I have friends who wear the same exact size as me and they weigh a hundred pounds less than me. But I've learned to honor my body and honor my body type because I work out. I love boxing. I love mm-hmm. working out. I love, and my body is heavy, but I got shoulders now and like, I'm good. And I'm not going to hold yeah. her. Cause you mentioned it earlier. When you start stressing yourself out, then your body like starts to freak out accordingly because now you're in stress yeah. mode and survival mode and you're not thriving. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the biggest lies of diet culture is that if you just get to this one size, everything is going to be okay. And this one size should look like that. And that's one of the biggest lies ever. All of our bodies are different because what genetics? Diet culture doesn't take genetics into consideration. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take culture into consideration. It doesn't take the environment into consideration. It really doesn't take the way difference gravity. It takes nothing into consideration because my body is going to wear a size differently than somebody who's my same height, same weight. Our bodies are going to carry it differently just because of all of those factors, right? But diet culture tells you that it should look a certain way, which is why all of us are trying to get these bodies that are perfectly shaped and identical when that's not the way nature intends it to be. Not at all. And it's just miserable. It's just a life of misery. And so you talked about culture, right? One of the things I love about traveling is that I get to learn so much about culture through food. Mm -hmm. I get to learn how they do things. I get to talk to people around different foods that we think are central to us that are central to them. So when I was in, in that bodybuilding life, I lost a huge part of what makes me me and what makes me happy. Yeah. So for me, that just wasn't the life to go. And for me too, it was a fine line between that and an eating disorder. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to choose health. I worked hard to get here. I worked hard to release myself of my obsessiveness. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back there. And so lucky for me, I have resources and a therapist and I was like, I'm bordering there again. Yeah. I need to get out. And so I was able to get out and refocus on my body. Yeah. And yeah. you fine, fine, child. Let's be very clear. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, too. It's like, that's why I said it was so freeing. I asked my surgeon what my uh, goal weight would be. And he said between 200 and 220, I almost jumped out that chair. I said, oh, he said. Cause, that's freeing, yeah, ain't it? Because he said even at 360, whatever, I think I was like 363 the Friday before I had surgery. He was like, I'm looking at, I did an overall, you know, body composition. He said, "You that chart can go to hell. He said, I hate that chart. Like, that chart has screwed us up. And I was like, it yeah, is. okay, well, thank you. So, yeah, I, too, have come to a place in space of honoring my body, and I still don't really see myself mm-hmm. sometimes. My boxing coach's wife gave me a medium shirt, and I didn't know what to do with it. She was like, put it on, and it fit perfectly. I had it on last week. <laughs> my co-host's wife, I asked him for some shorts because I was like, I can wear your clothes now, Nick. And his wife sent down her dress. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Because she also weighs 100 pounds less than me. He was like, I don't know, Rosie said, put this on. I put it on. It slid right on. It was looking real cute. And it was a size medium. I was so shocked. But it's still, it's getting to a place in my head and in my heart where I'm like, let your body do what it does. If you feel fluffy, if it feels fluffy right now. So it needs it needs something mm-hmm. right now. So mm-hmm. you're holding on to something. And mm-hmm. when it's when it's done, it'll be done. But it's not stressing about it. So... Uh, yeah, your, Mm -hmm. uh, your journey with bodybuilding and let's be very clear. I'm not, we ain't shooting on bodybuilders and people who have decided that lifestyle. Yeah. But it's just, that ain't the one for us. Like, I don't want to eat. I love asparagus, but I don't want to have to eat 10 and, and certain amounts of food and, or should I say the same amount of food and the same type of, I don't want to do that. So I want to have fun. I want to enjoy mm-hmm. life. I want to eat and drink. My And my boxing coach, too, he says it all the time, Dr. Ebony. He'll say, all right, champ, 
when you, well, you said you gained five pounds, but you like to date and drink. So <laughs> when you don't want to drink, you won't. And then you, and then that five or 10 pounds will come off. And it's true. But like, I'm making the decision to like kick it. It's true. And it's fine. And when I don't want to kick it this week, That's I'll right. lose weight again and whatever. But I'm going to come to the gym continuously. I'm going to still do the other things, but I'm going to have fun. So, but such is the, the ebb and flows of life, yes. really. We hold ourselves to such a high standard because we've been conditioned to do so that we're like, oh, I need to be, I need to be negative 10 pounds all the time. No. And if I gain seven of those back, I'm doing bad. Right. It's the and good, that's bad what you thing. Hear people say all the time. It's the good, bad. As women, we like, cannot be always, bad. We can't be bad. Yeah. I always need to be good. Right. And we don't understand it. And one of the things shared, we don't really trust our bodies. And our bodies are so sick of us. Because your body is always telling you, your body is always going to search for what we call homeostasis. That's balance. Your body is always going to be trying to find balance. But we disrupt the process by inserting our control and our strategies for getting it back to where it needs to go. If you go on vacation and you pick up five pounds of water weight, your body's going to come back and find its balance. Right. If you just leave it alone. Because sometimes that's if just from flying. Alone, but we come back. It's just from flying. But we come back, start doing teas and start mm -hmm. like doing cabbage soup diets and all kind of extreme things. And our bodies get thrown off. And we're wondering why our bodies fluctuate and our, our hormones are so out of whack. We're doing too much to try to control the body's natural processes. Mm -hmm. And we're interrupting what it can do naturally. And it's because we don't trust ourselves because we've learned not to. Um, and it, we really get in our own way. Mm -hmm. And surgery gave me that reset, which is why I've said I'm not going to do none of that extreme stuff. Because every time I've gone on vacation, I come back lighter now that I don't care. How the, see how that works? Mm -hmm. This is a broader conversation, what I'm about to say. So we, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to say it and leave it alone. But like St. Lucia, I ate really well. When I go to Mexico, I eat really well. I've eaten really well in other countries and came back weighing less. Why? Because they don't use the same kind of additives and stuff that we do in the u.s well then there's and that so i was like listen <laughs> wait why well, ain't gaining weight because i know i ate and drank my behind off and came back with less behind than what i came with and didn't work out excuse me <laughs> okay united states of america we got a problem we didn't even get to touch on the fact that like yes. you know our foods culturally have been gentrified and all of that it's a whole thing mm -hmm. <sighs> thank mm -hmm. you for the work that you're mm -hmm. doing that's what i will say <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having this conversation. It's so necessary. It is a lot to digest. Like, seriously, yeah. like no pun intended. It's a lot to digest and just to keep having the conversation and keep repeating the same things to ourselves because it's, it's going to take a lot to unlearn what's been so deeply mm -hmm. ingrained. And then a piece of me gets mad because I remember you mentioned like we grew up on collard greens and that's bad until the hipsters came and started making stuff with collard greens or introduced kale and how we survived right. on rice. But now quinoa is the thing. And I love quinoa. Don't play me. But I'm like, again, that's right. another oppressive system that has us battling our bodies. Go to hell. I hate y'all. Yeah, now sushi is about to be bad. You know sushi is about to be bad. Why? Right? It's because fish. Rice is, rice is bad for us and there's a rice shortage. I mean, so I need people to pause and think about the contradictions that exist throughout history. We're always going to be told that our foods are bad and trends around food are always going to come and go. So eat what your body tells you. It can, it can digest and eat. Leave what it says it can't, and your body will do what it does yeah. and take care of you if you take care of it. There's never been an issue with rice, never been an issue with anything else. 
So we have to realize the gentrification and the colonization that exists around our foods that are supposed to be central to us in ways that we're being told or made to move away from those things. Child, producer Aaron then gave me a rap, so I'm going to rap. But you said a whole (laughs) word right there. Be good to your body and your body will be good to you. And I said that this stage of my life after surgery was about honoring my body. And Mm -hmm. if I could just get more women on board with like what you said, love your body. She'll love you back. She'll show up. And also even, even myself, I show old pictures of myself and I repost them because I never want to look at that old version of me and be like, Ooh, because she got me here. Mm -hmm. All 39 years of her got me to 40 and this body is going to get me to the next stage. And so I have to honor her as I learn to honor this That's new cool. space so that I can get to where I'm going, you know? And I think we go, ooh, to our before mm-hmm. pictures and yay to this after picture. But this after picture might fluctuate somewhere too. So I honor her. Thank you, old self. Mm-hmm. Welcome new self. And yeah, whoever I become. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Welcome you too. All right. We- I love it. We got to wrap up. You do have these My Therapy cards that are blessed lives. We said we was going to do three, but I want you to tell everybody what they're about. Maybe we'll do one, and then we're going to wrap up here. Okay. Yeah, so My Therapy cards is a card deck that I created because as a psychologist, I wanted to address the need of money, stigma, and access to therapy. And so I wanted to, I wanted people to feel like they had something that they could actually use. So I took the questions that I asked my clients in everyday therapy and I put them in a card deck and called it My Therapy Cards on purpose because the mental health field has largely neglected representation of black folks in the work. Right. So I wanted us to see ourselves in the deck. I wanted us to be able to um, do some work, some quality work. And so I put the images that look like us, all the things, and I categorized it into mindset, habits and triggers so we can address mental blocks, coping skills and behaviors that we keep engaging in that keep getting in our way. So I want people to do go through the process and it's 52 cards. Uh, around about 52 cards so you could do one card a week which is way less than the cost of therapy so we're tackling the issue of money too as relates to how expensive therapy is Um, so I'm really proud of these cards and we have one for black women black teens black men but they're general enough to be used by anybody but the representation centers us in our likeness nice and just to be clear this is not therapy this episode is not therapy the cards are not therapy but it's to get you thinking and get you moving toward mm-hmm. the space of healing and perhaps seeking out a therapist and moving into a way and moving into getting healthy and getting whole and, and healed. So that's right. That's right. It's a resource. Yeah, it's a resource for sure. So you want to shoot me one yeah. right quick? Yeah. So this is the mindset card, right? So this is going to dig into some mental blocks, some things that keep us stuck, whether they're thoughts, belief, judgments, um, she always in my business. What do you y'all. need to forgive yourself for? Ooh. <laughs> what do you need to forgive yourself for? Is what the car says. Okay. Wow. And this could be around food. We don't need to go digging back well, up into like, some other uh, stuff. This could be around food in your body. Okay. Uh, I need to forgive myself for being so judgmental of my body in the past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even now, I know that we, um, a lot of folks like, you know, waste beads are ancestral uh, and sometimes they are to, you know, help with mindfulness. But I know when I decided to get waste beads, it's because at one point my, my tummy area has started to sag. And as things get smaller and shape up and as you fix things, I haven't fixed anything on my body itself yet, but like you start looking into it, 
you start to notice flaws. And I got waist beads because I was like, I need to adorn my midsection so mm. I remind myself that this part of the stage is also beautiful. And I have these really pretty waist beads on now. But mm. it really has changed my mindset because, again, when I'm walking around naked, like my body has changed so much. It's gotten tight where it used to be really loose and my tummy was hanging before I started boxing. And I'm going to do as much work as I can outside of plastics because you can only go so far sometimes mm -hmm. with the sagging skin. But for me, again, the waist beads, they do, they sit, you know, front and center. And it's like instead of looking there mm -hmm. and going like, oh, my God, or doing the pinchy thing or ugh. It's, you know, it's a reminder that this too is beautiful and this stage is beautiful mm -hmm. and it may not last very long, but it's here for now. So thank you, body. And the beads like adorning that area is the reminder that that too is beautiful. So I need to forgive myself for being so hard on my body prior and throughout the process. But I think I'm on track because I've noticed it and I try to do things to like reverse that behavior. So, yeah. I love that. And, and forgiveness is a process. We always talk about forgiving other people, but there's a lot that we hold ourselves to that we don't let go of. So I'm happy to hear that you're in the process of forgiving yourself and letting yourself off the hook of all those judgments and criticisms and things that we said about our bodies. Me too. Yeah. You know, that continue to generate guilt and shame. Well, child, once again, <laughs> Dr. Ebony <laughs> has come for my neck. <laughs> Girl, I could talk to you all day on this topic because it is so deep and so layered. And as humans, we are so layered. And when you start to peel back the layers, you just find something else. So, again, mm -hmm. I've, I've said it a couple of times, but I appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you're into liberating us culturally uh, and breaking the ties and the bad relationship that we have with food so we can, like, rip it up mm -hmm. and change it so that the generations behind us don't have to do that, especially as women. You know, my, my younger nieces mm -hmm. and my, mm -hmm. my cousins and stuff that are in their 20s, I tell them all the time right now, like, I'm, I know they're like, you're so crazy, hush. But I'm like, just be kind to your body. If you're kind to your body, mm -hmm. she'll be kind to you, you know. And mm -hmm. so <sighs> we got to be kind to each other, too. And let each other off mm -hmm. the hook a little bit more with our bodies as it pertains That's to us right. as women. So thank you uh -huh. so much. Yes. We're going to wrap it up. Producer Aaron going to kill me and director Joe for the slap me because he got to <laughs> edit all this. <laughs> but again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My therapy cards, you can find Dr. Ebony on social media as well. Uh, like and subscribe to Girl We Need to Talk on YouTube and um, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast which is girl we need to talk it better be <laughs> continue to tune in so i know you like to drink like i do so <laughs> cheers to be happy healthy and whole and kinder to our bodies on the next girl we need to talk and he kissed me but it wasn't like a real kiss it was like i was 19 and like but I think, again, hedge of protection, thank you, God. And then I got homeboys that would, like, murk him with no problem, and he knew it. But the thing is, is that I wasn't out here. I wasn't, like, kissing and humping and all right. the things. So he couldn't really pull me out and away from them. So he waited till 29 and came back as the evolved Girl, man. if he would have gave you that homeless sex when he was 19, you would have been hooked because he got good homeless <laughs> sex. Usually they nasty when they ain't got a home. <laughs> 
not doing this with you, Gina. I'm not. Oh I'm just God. saying. Mr. Aaron is rapping us, and I'm not doing this with you. But it is true. It is that is also a very true fact. Um, oh gosh, he's gonna make me lose my train of thought because he's good at that. <laughs> You know how you get mad at a dude and you be like, and that's why I was mediocre. You can't even, you be like, well, that part was It was good, good homeless okay. team. Girl, when they got more to lose, they do more things to you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Girl, We Need to Talk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Want to watch the show? Be sure to subscribe to the Miss Charity Bailey YouTube channel and connect with me across all social media platforms at Miss Charity Bailey.